the greatest revival ever. We're up to part seven today. This is wielding the power of God. Remembering that our theme scripture for the whole of this series is taken out of Mark chapter one, which begins like this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And today's section is taken from one word from this next event. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. For today's real key scripture, we're going to look at Luke's account of Luke 4 verse 36. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage and we look in particular at this verse today in context with the whole of Mark chapter 1, I'm asking for your spirit of wisdom and revelation, Father, that you'll give me utterance to make known the mystery of the gospel and of the word of God, that all of us can receive revelation today of what this means and that you will show us how to apply it and that you will give us the grace to be able to live this in our lives, to see the greatest revival ever as you want it to become. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look again at this scripture where the people responded to what Jesus was doing and they said, what a word is this? For with authority, which we spoke about last week, it's the authority of the living word coming through Jesus. And all of us can have the word come alive as we wait on the Holy Spirit, meditate in the word of God, etc. When that word comes alive and we sing it, preach it, pray it or shout it or say it, and we can use it in commanding the enemy as Jesus did, we can see the authority of that word prevailing on earth. But here they said, with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. See, it's one thing to command them. You can even command them in Jesus' name. But it's quite remarkable when that command results in such fruitful outcomes that with one command, the spirits come out. It's very good news. So what's the difference between authority and power? Now, many people have debated this for a long time, but let's go back to the Greek from which the New Testament is written. And the Greek word for authority is the word exousia, and it means, I'll explain how it means by illustrating it. And the Greek word for power is dunamis. Let me show you what I mean by an illustration. For authority, you can imagine one policeman standing in front of a row of traffic and even a great big truck coming towards him. He simply puts his hand up. And even though he might not have the power to stop the truck, he has the authority because they recognize the uniform and they know that there is power behind the badge and the uniform. So he stops the traffic. 
But if you want power to stop a moving truck, you might have to line up a hundred army tanks all with their guns pointed at the truck and then when he sees them, he'll stop because he doesn't have the power to overcome them. They have the power not only to stop him physically, but to blow him off the map if they wanted to. Another illustration is, if you have your own car and you've got the key and you know how to drive it, you have the authority to make it go and to make it stop. But if somebody else stole your car and started to drive off and you stood in front of them and tried to stop it with your own power, you would scarcely have the power to stop it. And as a matter of fact, the person with the authority to drive it who's got the key or the hot wire with their foot on the accelerator with the engine going and in drive, they would only have to touch the accelerator and you wouldn't have any power to match it at all. Kind of reminds me when we were young, my brother had his car parked in the family garage at the top of a very long steep drive that came up to our house from the road. And one day he was walking past the driveway and saw his car reversing out of the garage and his first thought was, who would be driving my car? But when it came right out of the garage, he realised it didn't have a driver and the car was at the top of a great big high hill and it could have only rolled down to the road. If it didn't hit another car, it could have been greatly damaged. And so he had to run. He grabbed hold of the door handle because it's the only thing he could grab and he used all of his power to stop the car from rolling. Thankfully, he was able to stop it before it got to the steeper part. So that's another way. Now, another thought of this could be a mother has a baby. She has authority over that baby, but it doesn't respond to her authority. So she uses her power. She picks it up. If it's crawling towards a heater, she stops it. And then she gradually teaches it to obey her words. Now, a son is someone over whom she has authority. She may have power when he's small and he's growing and growing, but there comes a day when he's going to have more power than her. She's getting a bit older and now he's getting older, but he's getting stronger. He gets taller and he has more power than his mother. She could still have authority to stop his power from doing certain things, but she doesn't have the power to stop it physically. And so when it says Jesus moved in authority, that's the authority of that living word. He's got a word from God. He's got the name of Jesus, the righteousness of God. He can use the word of God, but the power that enables the enforcement of that word comes through the Holy Spirit. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at Jesus coming back from the wilderness after his warfare with the wimp. The Bible says in Luke 4.14 that he returned in the power and stated the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. So the power that was on him, that was manifested around him by the Holy Spirit, was enough to enforce the authority with which he spoke. He spoke in heaven's authority and heaven's power was in manifestation to enforce it. Because I've learned one thing about demons. They're rebellious and they don't say yes to our commands very easily. We have to force them out. And the illustration for this is Pharaoh in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel wanted to leave, one translation is that God spoke to Moses and said he won't let you go unless he's forced to by a mighty hand. He won't let you go unless he's forced to. 
That's how it works with the enemy. We've got the authority in the name of Jesus. And when we hear that living word, we have the authority to expel demons and calm storms and multiply bread and fish, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. But we need power. So we are talking about the greatest revival when all of these aspects of Mark chapter 1 are going to be manifested simultaneously, well, in close sequence, like they were in Mark chapter 1, until this revival is in full bloom as God wants it to be, the greatest revival ever. So far we've seen part 1, warning, a prophetic preparation. Part 2, worship, a fresh surrender. Part 3, warfare against the real culprit, And then when you win over the wimp with the word in your wilderness, you can return in power. Jesus gave witness to the truth because it says he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he called disciples to walk with him. And we found out that walking with Jesus is two parts for us. One is being yoked to him as an on the job trainee or apprentice. And the other one is that we start apprenticing and discipling others with the overflow of both classroom and learning by being yoked to Jesus on the job. Part six, we looked at last week that Jesus only did what he saw with his father. As he heard, he spoke. And so he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes, because he began to teach them. And today's part is wielding the power of God. Now this word wielding is an interesting word and the definition of it by the dictionary is to exercise power, authority or influence as in ruling or dominating. It's a great definition. It's to use a weapon or an instrument effectively, handle, employ actively and archaic or in the olden days it used to mean to guide and direct or to govern and manage. So the W today is that Jesus was wielding the power of God. He was governing with it. He was controlling what the demons did and what they didn't do. Amen. So as we remember that Mark starts with one lonely voice in the wilderness crying out to prepare the way for the Lord, it ends with multitudes with the city, it ends with the whole district and then the whole world coming to see Jesus. And remember, we want the city lining up, not to see us, not to see the music, not to see the lights or the seats or the sound equipment or the air conditioning or to see all the people that are in the church. We want them coming to see Jesus, coming to be healed and to hear what Jesus is saying. And then the Pharisees said in John chapter 12, 19, they understood that the whole world He's going after Jesus. That's what happened then when Jesus only had two legs on his body. Now there are multiplied billions of legs on his body. And so we need to move out and see this great revival citywide, all over the district, and then nationwide, and then the whole world coming to Jesus. Amen. So what is this wielding the power of God all about? Today's points are number one, Jesus was clothed in God's power. Number two, Jesus wants us to be clothed in God's power and he made the way for it to happen. Number three, Jesus wants us to demonstrate 
the power of God. And number four, but we must realise that failure to respond wisely, either by us or our audience, to God's demonstration of power is fatal. And we'll see that towards the end. So number one today is Jesus was clothed in power. Luke 4, 14 to 19 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he was anointing Jesus. And Jesus said, Why? He said, Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel with convicting power, heal, deliver, recover sight, set people free, and announce jubilee to be activated by anybody that will believe for it, really. So Luke 6, 19 says, The whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. The woman with the issue of blood touched the edge of his garment. She didn't touch inside him. She touched the outside where the power was because the power was clothing him. Jesus was clothed in power. When she touched with the touch of faith, she received. His responsibility was to make sure he came into ministry clothed in power. Her responsibility was to believe, to reach out and receive, to keep her words in line with what she believed and then to confess it, to testify to it and be a witness to what God had done in her life. Another illustration is Peter, who was also clothed in power after the day of Pentecost. And Acts 5, 15 to 16 says, As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. There was power out to the extent of his shadow all around Peter. He wasn't just clothed like, you know, you get wet when you're baptised. It wasn't just skin deep. It was all around him so that when he walked out there among the people in those within shadow distance were getting healed by the power of God. Verse 16 says, Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Such wonderful words. Philip went down to Samaria in Acts 8, 5 to 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So there's the authority to preach the word, but he was also clothed in power. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Why? Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So there was authority to preach and power to confirm it. Amen. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. Amen. The power to preach Christ with conviction, power for miracles, power for casting out demons, power for healing the paralyzed and lame, and power that led to great joy. Because in His presence, is fullness of joy. So there was a manifestation of that power all around Philip, as it was all around Peter, as it was all around Jesus, and will be all around you as you open up to the Holy Spirit, as you wait on God. And I'll give you a big hint. 
Speaking or praying in tongues is a gigantic key for this, along with praising God, confessing scriptures, living in praise and living a holy life and staying obedient to God. They're all important. So today our theme is how to see the great revival here now. Part seven. What's this wielding the power of God all about? Number one, Jesus was clothed in God's power. Number two, Jesus wants us clothed in God's power. So Luke 9.1 shows what he did with his disciples before the cross. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So Jesus gave them power and authority. Amen. Power to produce results. This is what he wants for you. Then we see what Jesus commissioned his disciples with after his resurrection. For when they were born again, this is what he said. I am sending to you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And remember the context. In Matthew, go into the world and make disciples. In Mark, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone. In Luke, you're going to be announcing repentance and remission of sins. But don't go yet. Even though they'd had three and a half years of training with Jesus, they'd had communion by his own hand, they had him speaking the word of God to them in their own language, culture, region and era, so they didn't have to have translations and various bits and pieces. They saw him in action. He laid his hands on them. They rode with him through the storm. They ate the bread and the fish that he multiplied. But they still weren't qualified until they received power from on high. Amen. Acts 1.5 For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you know when you get baptized, it's a bit different from drinking. When you drink water, it goes inside you. But when you get baptized in water, it means to be overwhelmed. You go in the water and you come out wet because the water is on you. And that's what Jesus said. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. A couple of verses later in Acts 1.8, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So they waited in that upper room for 40 days. Then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them. And it says in King James, cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat on each of them. But what that means is there was a huge fire which divided up and clothed them in fire and in power. Then they spilled out into the street and the first Pentecostal thing that happened was contemporary ministry in relevant languages because they went out on the street and they spoke in a language that all the visitors and all the multicultural visitors could understand in their own language. And they all spoke with tongues. And so they were clothed with power, as Jesus had said, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they did that. Amen. When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I understood this and I was always 
praying in tongues, praising the Lord, going on fasts. And I remember once a lady called us around to pray and she had bad sinus. And I remember laying my hand there and I felt the power of God go out of my hand into her body. She was instantly healed. Once we went off to Albury to play a concert and in that concert at the big leagues club, just as we're about to start, the sound guy said to me, because we didn't have phantom power, we were using a DI box or a direct injection or a direct inbox with batteries in it. And so he said to me, Dave, the batteries in the DI box are flat and I needed it to play my bass through. So I'd been out in the truck praying before the concert, speaking in tongues, driving all the way there, it was a few hours from home. So I wrapped my hands around that box and I prayed and I felt the power of God go into it. He switched it on and it was fully charged. Amen. One time we went away to do prayer and fasting and with our home group at the time and with some other people that came along. And when we were there, the sound guy's new fiance had a really bad back. She had been a dancer or a nurse and her back was very injured. She couldn't continue with life like normal and do what she wanted to do. And so we all laid hands on her. There was a manifestation of power and her back was completely replaced with a reconditioned one or a new one. And she was instantly healed right there in the lounge room at home. Happened before I ever had a credential, before anybody ever called me pastor, because none of those things are relevant. What's relevant is faith in God getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, clothed in power, listening to words from heaven and praying in Jesus' name, in faith in his name. Amen. She was healed. One time at rehearsal studio, the owner of the rehearsal studio told us a few weeks after we all got going for Jesus and got baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said, my mother has been hit by a truck. She's in St. Vincent's Hospital. She's got no memory and she's in a coma. Well, she's in a coma. If your prayers can do anything, pray for her. We did. Went back a few weeks later and he said, well, my mum came out of the coma, but she has no memory and they're still not sure what all is wrong with her because she'd been hit by a truck, had been killed by that accident and the doctor had restarted her heart. They got her into hospital, were keeping her alive. And I felt then that me and the band and Rosanna's sister we should all go down there. We could only fit five in a car. So there's three in the band at that stage. There was the sound guy, John, and Rosanna's sister. We drove down to that hospital, not feeling like we knew anything that we should do, probably feeling more like a fish out of water because we were more used to being in nightclubs and hotels entertaining people than having anything to do with hospitals. So we went in there, we found her in the room, we kneeled down along the side of the bed, we prayed for an hour, got up to go out, said it's not over, went back and we announced words of knowledge, we prayed words of wisdom, we just spoke in tongues, we bound every demon that came to mind and at the end of it, we went home. We didn't know you were allowed to follow up even and ask if she was okay. But the next time he said, did you hear what happened to my mother? And we said, no, what happened? He said, they all remember you coming in to pray and the next morning they couldn't find her in her bed. And when they checked her out, not only had her memory come back, but she was so completely healed 
that she had gotten up to go to the toilet, which she couldn't even do before. She was completely healed and released to go home because of that manifestation of power mixed in the authority of Jesus, the authority of his word and openness to flow in the Holy Spirit and let that authority flow through us and the power clothe us and transfer to this woman by the laying on of hands. Amen. So in practice, you could say the power works with authority through the living word and by doing what you see with Jesus. Remember, Jesus said the son only does what he sees with the father. Amen. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So these greater works are yours now. They're ours in the body of Christ into this greatest revival ever is coming to pass now by the power of God. How much power has been made available to you? Let's read the scripture and find out. And I know the Bible says that Jesus had the spirit without measure, but that doesn't mean that you're limited way down to a small amount. Listen to this. Ephesians 3.20 Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. By this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or even imagine. Imagine that. You can ask as big as you can ask. God can do more. You can imagine. Imagine the whole world under revival. God can do that and more. There's no limit to what God can do. Jesus himself said, the works that I've done and greater works than these shall he do or shall you do. So how do we see the greatest revival here now? So after heeding the prophetic warning, surrendering and worship to Father's will, after overcoming the enemy in your wilderness, after returning in power, after beginning to be a witness, after positioning as disciple, I mean, let's face it, people aren't even going to know about revival meetings unless we're out there giving witness to it, unless somebody gets healed, tells everybody, unless somebody starts talking about what's been going on. And then after positioning as his disciples, with the yoke on with him, remember, doing what he says, going where he goes, stopping when he says stop, zipping the lip when he says don't say that. When we get that kind of holiness and obedience and surrender, we're discipling others. And then after teaching with authority, we then wield the power of God. And remember, that's got to do with ruling. It's got to do with reigning. It's got to do with enforcing the powerful words. Amen. So what's wielding the power all about? Number one, Jesus was clothed in God's power. Number two, Jesus wants us to be clothed in power. And number three today is Jesus wants us to demonstrate the power. Let me say it a different way. He wants us, he wants you to demonstrate the power. Yes, you. You've got to be brave. You've got to step out by faith. Lay hands on the sick. Offer to pray with someone. Hey, Jonesy, I notice you've been limping. Did you know that Jesus could heal that? He often heals the sick. Can I pray for you? They think you're going to go home and pray. You just lay hands on them. Now, if you're opposite gender, you ask permission, of course, hand in an appropriate place, or you get your wife to do it or whatever. But you pray. You believe God. Reminds me of a funny story. Rosanna was in the supermarket and a lady killed over on the floor and people were wondering what was wrong with her. And Rosanna went up and none of them knew what to do. And Rosanna offered to pray for her. And one of the ladies kneeling over her looked at Rosanna and said, Not now. Can't you see she's sick? 
This lady had no concept that prayer was the solution, not the problem. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard Bensonita Hoso say years ago. He said that in his country, he'd been training his church about wielding the power, moving in the authority, being clothed in that glory. And one lady heard that her friend was in hospital. The baby was breached. They didn't know what to do. And she rushed into the hospital and she wanted to see her friend. And they said to her, you can't go in there. The baby's breached and she's having trouble giving birth. And she just said, I'm here to fix it. She burst into the room and said, baby, turn. And the baby turned and was born naturally. That's the kind of thing God has authorized you to do. Amen. As well as charge the odd battery and heal someone that's an accident victim. Here we go. So Jesus wants us to demonstrate this power. Remember, even before the cross, Jesus sent them out to preach and demonstrate. As we see in Matthew 10 verses 7 to 8. He said to his disciples, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, God's authority and power is here now. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I love that. I often say that myself. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Someone says, what does God want us to do? It just comes out. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Because we often think God's will is so complicated and there is some fine tuning, but the majority of God's will is in the word and we just got to do it like it says. Amen. So Luke 9, 2, he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke 10, 9, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Then after the cross, he gave a very similar commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. It's very clear cut. It's very clear cut and black and white. Amen. Believe you're in. Don't believe you're condemned. Verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. A lot of Christians want to follow signs. Oh, I heard there's miracles down at such and such. That's for the unbelievers to follow in and get there and get filled up. We're supposed to have signs following us. And this is what's going to happen in the greatest revival. I preached in church once and a long time later, a young man testified. I heard Pastor Dave preach this, this and this and this. And he went and put it into practice. And then this young man who should have been in prison for the crimes he committed, put into practice what he heard me preach. And the magistrate forgave him for what he had done. Quite a miracle. And he came back to the church and testified. I often thought that was a sign that followed a long time after I preached the word. So the signs might be immediate. They might follow a long time after. And I'm believing that signs will follow this message because you will be encouraged and empowered to lay your hands on the sick, to speak to the devils, to charge up flat batteries if you need to, to deal with serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy according to the power and the authority that Jesus has given you. Amen. These signs will follow those that believe. In my name they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, 
And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then we see how much Jesus wants us to demonstrate this power as enunciated by the Apostle Paul. This is how he summed up his evangelism phase of his ministry to the Corinthians. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. So Paul came to them. He preached in the authority of the living word of God and then demonstrated with the spirit and power. Now that demonstration could be with words of knowledge, words of wisdom, giving out prophecies, operating in the gift of the discerning of good and evil spirits, but it's also in the demonstration of the power gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles. All of these are available in the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 5, why did he do this? demonstration of power? Why did he come with such humility and feeling so vulnerable that he just announced Jesus and him crucified? Because he was working with the Holy Spirit, not using his own authority or ability to convince people by logic or by great command. He was operating by simple faith, humble obedience, pronouncing the gospel and then demonstrating the good news the gospel declares that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead, that he's alive and operates today. Because in Jesus' name, Paul then moved in signs and wonders, healings, miracles, demonstrations of the spirit and of power. Amen. Why did he do that? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Amen. Jesus wants us to demonstrate the spirit and power. So this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14:1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now prophecy, we often have it in church, and prophecy is good. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he talks about a special application of prophecy, which is when someone that's unlearned, unsaved, comes into the church, ignorant of the things of God, not saved, and then you prophesy the secrets of his heart. Now, you don't do that in an unloving way, obviously. If it's from God, it's always going to be done with love and with wisdom. But when he hears that the Spirit of God knows all about his life, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he then will fall down saying God is truly among you. This may be in context the kind of prophesying we should hunger and thirst for. Amen? So how do we move into operating in this demonstration of power of the Spirit of God? This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
Now, this word earnest desire comes from a Greek word, and in one of the dictionaries, this is Thayer's dictionary, it gives this definition. It means to burn with zeal. Some of the subpoints: to be heated or to boil. In a good sense, to be zealous in the pursuit of good. It means to desire earnestly to pursue, to desire to strive after, to busy oneself about this, to desire earnestly. It's to exert oneself in pursuit of, amen, that it won't be torn from me. This is how we go after these spiritual gifts with earnest desire, with burning, with passion, with zeal, and we hold on to it tenaciously. Don't let it be ripped from you. I summarize it like this. Burn with zeal to operate the spiritual gifts. Be zealously in the pursuit of spiritual gifts and exert yourself to operate in the gifts and don't let any devil or any person stop you. Hold on to it tenaciously. And remember, if they don't receive you or the word you're preaching or the gifts you're operating in this town or in this place, flee to another, Jesus said. Keep moving on. Amen. I can remember when I first heard about this, how zealous I was. I went on a nine-day fast for the nine gifts of the Spirit. It wasn't easy to do, but I was zealous for it. And then we're off in our band doing an outreach through the schools up in Gosford. And on Sunday morning, they put me into this church. And I went into this Baptist church, which at that time was not charismatic in the least little bit, but they were hungry for it. And I remember getting there after a very long week a very late night, loading out equipment, getting there on Sunday morning, feeling a bit like a worn out dish rag. And I was standing there ready to get up to preach. And God said to me, prophesy. And I'm saying, here? He said, yes, prophesy. So I got up in this very quiet, smallish Baptist church and I began to prophesy. But because I wasn't very enthusiastic that day, it came out very quietly and very meekly. And then at the end of the service, I looked at the newsletter and I realized that they'd been studying the gifts of the Spirit for some months in the build up to this. And they themselves had declared, this is the day the gifts of the Spirit begin in our church. Isn't that amazing? I didn't even know about it. I just had to be obedient. But God trusted me to come all the way from Melbourne a long-haired musician driving in a band truck to come into a clean-cut, nice, orderly Baptist church and be the first one to give a prophecy. That was an amazing confirmation to me and no doubt to them. And it reminds me of how God flew in bread for Elijah on the back of ravens or crows, as we'd call them here in Australia. They carried the bread to him. They were unclean birds but they were carrying the right message. To them in that church, I might have looked like a crow, an unclean person, a muso, used to playing in hotels and nightclubs, suddenly got saved, now doing outreaches. But I bought to them the breakthrough that they'd been seeking simply because I had a hunger and a desire to move in the gifts. And I wouldn't let the intimidation of being in an environment that didn't look right put me off from doing it. So I did it. Amen. So how do we see the great revival? It's about wielding the power of God. And how does this work? Jesus was clothed in God's power. He wants us clothed in God's power and he wants us to 
demonstrate the power like he did, like the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. Now, point four today is an interesting one. We've got to always bear this in mind. And that's why I believe God has been saving the best till last because this great revival that Jesus is about to pour out and be manifested here on earth with mighty signs and wonders is a hard act to follow and we've got to be wise once we've seen what he's about to do that we don't let go of it because failure to respond wisely to God's demonstration of power is fatal. And I could add to that, eternally fatal. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 20 to 24, where he was speaking about some of the cities where he did so much of his mighty and miraculous demonstration of the power of God. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. So what's the first word Jesus preached? Repent. Paul said God commands all men to repent. This is the issue. Jesus even said once, unless you repent, you know, don't worry about the Tower of Siloam falling on. Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And he says here, he denounced the towns because they hadn't repented. Verse 21, what sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had have been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sin long ago, clothing themselves in burlap, clothing themselves in hessian or sackcloth and ashes, throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Now listen to what he says to Capernaum. So mind renewing. This is amazing. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Other translation says hell. For if the miracles I did for you had have been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on the day of judgment than you. So Sodom was wicked. It was so wicked that God wiped it off the planet. But God is saying, if you see my signs and wonders, my demonstrations of the Spirit, and still don't repent, you're worse off than that city. And you'll be destined to hell. So we have to remember this. Let's get our own lives right. Let's not go to church to see a bit of a show. Woohoo, nice sign and wonder God. Do it again next week and then go down and be not a repentant lifestyle all week. We have to have our lives right. Get holy with God. This is about our own future and our own salvation as much as it is about revival out in the world. When we know that we are ready for this, then we can get excited and hunger after these things. And then when it starts to happen, those that come in and see these kind of miracles and hear the testimony and get the gospel and receive the gospel, receive the new birth and get filled with the Holy Spirit, if they turn back, as the Bible says, there's no repentance left for them or any of us that turn away after having seen all of this. Amen. 
This is repeated in the Bible, and I'm going to read the second scripture about it, as is found in Luke 10, 13 to 15. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, because they'd seen all these miracles. This is where the man came through the roof, the woman with the issue of blood, the ruler of the synagogue's daughter raised back to life. This little town, this fishing village, Jesus taught the multitude, they all came to be healed. This is where it happened. Right near there, they all went out onto the mountainside and heard Jesus, they were all healed. He said, you will be brought down to hell. Why? Because they saw it, but they didn't repent. So we have to be aware that there's a very serious side to what we're talking about today. So in conclusion, how can we see the great revival here now? Part 7 is wielding the power of God. What is this wielding the power of God all about? Number one, Jesus was clothed in God's power. Number two, Jesus wants us to be clothed in power and he made that available and he said, wait until you're clothed with power before you move out and do these things. Remember the seven sons of Sceva. They moved out to try to do these things before being clothed in power, a prerequisite of which, of course, is being born again, getting your life sorted out, turning from your old life, etc., putting off the old, getting clothed with power, then moving out. When the seven sons of Sceva tried to get this into the wrong order, they were overpowered by the demons they were trying to evict. And the demons knew that they weren't born again, knew they weren't right with God, and so they just overpowered, took no notice of them whatsoever. We can't do it that way. We want to be clothed with power before we step out. Number three, Jesus wants us to demonstrate that power. And number four, but failure to respond wisely to God's demonstration of power is fatal. So the only application today is earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to be clothed with power and to move into power and remember the prerequisites. Now, if you're watching today or listening to this message on a podcast or whatever, and you haven't been born again, you haven't got your life right with God, then you need to do that right now. It's not complicated. Jesus has made this very simple for us to get started. The first step is to turn away from your old life, to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead and then you receive his new birth you receive jesus as your savior confess him as your lord because if you believe jesus rose from the dead and you confess that jesus is lord you will be saved and then you follow him like he said like the good shepherd and you walk in his ways listening to his voice fulfilling all of the things we've been talking about today and then earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The best way to start in this is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to receive that baptism of power, which you can get someone to pray for, receive it at home, whatever is going to work for you. It depends where your faith is. And then when you receive that, 
you then believe for the gift of speaking in tongues. And once you've received that gift, you keep exercising it. Keep speaking in tongues. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That edify means to be empowered, clothed with power. That's one of the ways that power clothing can come on you. Other ways is when you're in worship. Other ways when you're praising God, when you're praying, when you're confessing the word of God. These are other ways that that power can come on you. But put them all together. Praise God. Speak in tongues. Get with others. Have prayer meetings. Worship God and let that glory come all over you. Let that anointing be on you and then launch out. When you get the word and you get the nudge of the Holy Spirit, you launch out in faith. Lay hands on the sick and Jesus said they will recover. Amen. You cast out demons in my name and they will obey you. Amen. Because Jesus said, I have given you authority against all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. You know, we think sometimes that means just sit back and let nothing harm us. But it means more than that. It means take that scripture to heart, use it as a sword and say nothing will harm me. Back off every demon. Back off pandemic. Back off sickness. Nothing's allowed to harm me. He's given his angels charge over me. And you go after him in the name of Jesus. So to start today, you need to be born again. I'll lead you in the special prayer right now. Say these words after me. Say it to God and mean it with all your heart. And if you do, you can receive his new birth today. Because Jesus said you must be born again. So say this. Jesus, just repeat that after me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my old life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I believe you paid for my sin. You carried it to the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead without any of that sin remaining on you. Today, I receive Jesus as my Saviour. I confess He is my Lord. I believe I'm born again. I believe my name is now in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by the grace of God, I will follow Jesus as my good shepherd from this day forward. And in Jesus' name, I receive the Holy Spirit and the clothing of power from on high. I'm born again. I'm clothed with power. And I am Jesus' disciple today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. You said that prayer. I believe you're born again. You need to start talking about it and being that witness. If you've got no one to talk to about it or to pray with or to tell, at least write to us on YouTube, write to us on Facebook or Messenger, and we'll be able to converse with you and pray with you. So God bless you today. Thank you so much for listening.